Let's take up our Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1. As we come to the penultimate sermon in our Elijah series, uh, one more, we pray the Lord willing, next week on the changing, Elijah's ushering into heaven, the change now of the prophet from Elijah to Elisha. But tonight, skipping again some of the, the history in terms of the end of Ahab and Jezebel, some more movement of kings to come right again to the ministry of Elijah. And so let's hear these words from 2 Kings 1. We pay special attention to the reading of God's Word because it is that, the very inspired and errant Word of God. It is that Word that His Spirit works in our hearts for His good and glory. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There is a man, came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent him another captain of 50 men with his 50, and he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And the captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram, or here Joram, became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. 
Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come again to your word in the narrative of Elijah, Father, we are taken aback once more by the wonder of your power, of your authority shown, but also the sinfulness of man, the sinfulness of those who are to be set apart under the service of your people, the service of your kingdom. The breakdowns, Father, of covenant relationship in which the children are forgetful of that which has happened before, but more importantly, forgetful of that which you have done and what you have commanded. And Father, we confess to you that we live in a world that is very forgetful. That even amongst churches, Lord, who forget what your word says, the history of those churches, of the battles that have been fought and won, those battles that have been lost, in order for us to know you. For Father, we know that you are working throughout all history to gather a people to yourself. So Father, as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to your word, we pray that your spirit would plant it deep in us, that you would change and fashion us for your glory, and that your name would be praised in calling sinners to repentance. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, when a generation becomes accustomed to freedom, it's easy for them to forget the oppression of the past and the sacrifices of the many in order for them to bring about the freedom now enjoyed. When a generation lives its whole life in relative peace, it's easy for them to forget the means and sacrifices required to provide that peace, lest we forget. That's why we're brought in the calendar of this nation to another Memorial Day tomorrow. We remember those sacrifices. We learn from our past. We seek to live in a way of remembered thankfulness. And if we will not remember as individual citizens or as a nation, if we will not teach our children these things and if they will not teach their children these things, if we live as though wars have not been fought and sacrifices have not been made, we will become all the more self-absorbed than we already are and all the more less thankful, lest we forget. And one would think that after all that had happened in Ahab and his family, all that they had seen, all that they knew in the life of Israel and what had happened even through the ministry of Elijah, his prophet, one would think that there would have been enough remembrance concerning who Yahweh was and what he had done and what he had commanded and the power that he had shown to bring a people to himself. He has made that power known throughout all history. He made it known especially powerfully at Mount Carmel. And yet as we see right away in 2 Kings, as though we hope to change the book from 1 to 2 Kings and read a different narrative, nothing really has changed. Except there's a new king, but one with the same mindset and the same sin. But Yahweh is still God as it was at the beginning, is now and ever shall be. And yet Israel and her leaders continue to live as though he doesn't exist, 
as though he hadn't chosen them, as though he hadn't delivered them into that land, as if he hadn't called them to exclusive obedience, as if he wasn't strong and powerful to save. And that becomes the rub in this text tonight. And it would be great to say that this is just a sinful Israel of the past mindset. That they were the ones who were forgetful, but not the church, not today, not amongst Christians living in this century. But even among people who call themselves Christians in frequent churches, there is an abandoning of the way of the Lord, a dismissing of His word that they might chase the things of this world, an abandoning of the truth that they might chase after their own desires and their own kingdom. Is it because there is no God among us? The question remains the same. Is it because there is no God among us that we do the same? That we pick and choose what we will believe and what we won't? The obedience that he calls us to? The love and thankfulness that is required of us? Is it because there is no God among us? Is it because there is no God among us that we seek the wisdom of the world and the things of the world rather than calling out to God in repentance and faith and dependence? And so as we consider the situation in Israel in the time of our text, let us be sure to examine our own hearts. That we would recognize our own sin of forgetfulness, of failing always to remember who God is and what He has done, what he has required, but also what he has promised and what he continues to promise to us. And more, that we would return to the word of the Lord and the way of the Lord. That we would return to Yahweh with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, resolve to remember, resolve to proclaim and believe that this Lord and this God, that he alone is God. And that we will seek after and follow only him. And so we frame our sermon tonight with the same questions found in it. Using that first one. Is it because there is no God in Israel? And then three statements to complete the question. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you seek idolatry instead of God Almighty? We see that in the first eight verses. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you seek sovereignty instead of humility? We see that in verses 9 through 14. And then is it because there is no God in Israel that you seek clarity instead of responsibility? And that in the last four verses. But hear that first question again. And certainly we could put in brackets in Israel because it's still the same question to us. Is it because there is no God that you seek idolatry instead of God Almighty? And yet there has been a reckoning already in the first verse of 2 Kings 1. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. In fact, in his commentary, Dale Ralph Davis states that this chapter begins on a positive note. Because Ahab is dead. Because arguably the most wicked of all of the kings has perished. Died according to the word prophesied by the prophet Micaiah. And we read of that in 1 Kings 22. But a certain man drew his bow at random by chance and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I am wounded. 
He died and was brought to Samaria, and the dogs had licked up his blood, spilled in his chariot, just as the prophet Elijah had foretold. It was all according to the will of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, by way of the truth that he was still present in Israel. And yet during his life, Ahab was, if nothing else, afforded power because of the many alliances, those things that were certainly sinful, even the marriage alliance that he was brought into by Jezebel. And because of those things, there was a measure of peace, though we know in reading the text there was no peace. It wasn't real. And now that Ahab has been disposed of in God's judgment, the nations, now Moab, begin to believe that they ought to throw off Israel's control. They had every right to do so because Israel was rebelling against God. Most notably in chasing after Baal and every other idol of the nations, rather than after all they have gone through and all the teaching that was theirs, returning with all of their heart to God Almighty. And now they are attacked. And so would the next generation learn from what had happened in the time of their fathers? Would they remember the lessons that had been taught, the wonders of Yahweh that were plain for them to see? No. It's almost unbelievable to us. They didn't remember. In fact, their rebellion had been passed from one generation to the next. Ahab had raised Ahaziah, and sadly, he was just like his dad. It says back in 1 Kings 22, in verse 51, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. So not only the pursuit of the Baals, but also let's go back to worshiping our own golden calves. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. It's sickening. And yet our introduction then to the rule and reign of Ahaziah in that way brings tragedy but also thoughts of where is mercy? Is there going to be mercy in the narrative? Now Ahaziah, verse 2, fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. He's had an accident, a difficult providence to be sure. And yet what does suffering do in our own lives? That sickness or that hurt or that disease that we have. What does it typically bring out for us? Suffering always brings out what resides in our hearts, its motives and desires. It shows what we place our comfort in. It always shows what we place our assurance in. And it's here again where we pray, can't this story be different? Can't Israel figure it out already? Can't this man do it differently? That a king would be changed and brought back to God in God's intervening. But this isn't that kind of story. So he sent messengers telling them, go, inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. He sends messengers, but this isn't just a, a consult. This isn't going to inquire of Dr. Google in terms of symptoms and whether or not there's going to be recovery. 
No, the word here is different. Go and consult with one who could speak an oracle about my future. He's looking for a medium. He's looking for one who will tell him the future. He's forgotten his history. Certainly one in the line of kings shouldn't have forgotten the brokenness of Saul's pursuit of answers from the witch of Endor. The practice was forbidden. No good thing comes to a king in this way. Leviticus 19, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. But it's worse than that. Because by way of this action, it is a denial of God and his word, but more an active searching out of another to place his trust in for refuge and for answers and for hope. Because remember the context in Israel. All the Baal prophets are dead. Killed at Carmel. Slaughtered by Elijah. There's no one to reference at home. So we'll go to the world. We'll go out to the nations. Let's go seek one of the Baals of the Philistines, whose name translates as Lord of Flies or Glorious Prince. The wickedness of the world. In the New Testament, this name of the Baal is used to refer to the chief of devils in Matthew 10, 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? It's the term that they use to slander Christ. It's an utter denial of who Almighty God is. Is another slap in the face to an affront of the glory of Almighty God. And the Lord will not be set aside in this way. Not by his anointed, not by his people. So he will go to Ahaziah. It is the wonder in God's fury, still a message of mercy. He doesn't wipe him out instantly, but I will go to him and go to this people by way of my word. And so the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, imagine, we continue to see angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus Christ. The Savior comes and draws nearer to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. The conflict is set. There's a problem here. He's not looking for the right messenger. He's not sending his messengers to the right place. And so the messengers of Ahaziah who have been sent on this idolatrous journey will be stopped by the messenger of Yahweh. And the word given to Elijah made to face the Lord Almighty, the sovereign Savior to come. And this is what you are to say to them according to the authority of the Lord Christ the Almighty. Is it because there is no God in Israel? There's nothing soft about the charge. In that way, there's nothing pleading. It is completely and totally condemning. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? You're going to inquire of another Baal. Have you already forgotten? Have you have not heard? Haven't you heard what happened to the chasing after Baal in Israel? 
and yet now you look to the world for its answers and its gods. You look to Ekron. You look to the Philistines. Don't you remember your history in the line of the kings? Don't you remember when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant? What happened to them when God was present among them? 1 Samuel 5, so they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. They understood the Lord God Almighty. They understood who He was, for there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. They were driven to call out to the true God. But the King of Israel will not cry out. This is the ridiculousness of Ahaziah's idolatry to even think about sending men there. But now his men are met by the word of the Lord, spoken by Elijah. And what is remarkable is that they turn. They turn around right away. They don't finish their command. They don't finish the errand. They simply go home. They return to the king, and he's a little bit off-put by this because, well, why are you back so soon? Why have you already returned? But they've already received a word. They don't have to take that whole trip. They've already heard what is to happen. He said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord. Again, the conflict. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal Zebub, God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. God still gives his word. Even to this next generation of wicked king, he is still faithful to bring his word. It's a word of judgment, no doubt. But he is faithful. And Ahaziah doesn't like it. His idolatry will refuse to allow him to like it. Even in his compromised state, he doesn't like it. And so now he needs to know who is the man, who is the messenger, who needs to be punished. What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? What does he look like? He wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. He couldn't remember the law. He couldn't remember the promises of God. He couldn't remember the activity of the same. But he could remember what a prophet looks like. Do we remember? Or have we forgotten too? Forgotten the word. Forgotten what the Lord speaks. His command to be worshipped, he and he alone. For us to seek him with all of our hearts, that he would grant us the desires of it. Have you forgotten his word? Are you even now setting aside his promises? Are you chasing after the idols of this world, which squeezes out your pursuit of him? 
Is it because there is no God among you? Is it because he hasn't shown himself faithful and just and kind and compassionate according to his steadfast promises? In terms of life and death and salvation, you're not going to find anything out there for this world to speak to you. Nothing of comfort, nothing of solace, nothing of rest. In fact, they have no truth to speak to you. It's found here, in submitting to his word, in heeding the call of the word amongst those that he's ordained to the same, who call you to turn away from your idolatry and your worship of self and turn again to the Lord, and he will graciously pardon. Don't forget. But Ahaziah would not heed. And so a second question then is asked, is it because there is no God in Israel that you seek sovereignty rather than humility. Because, of course, man doesn't want to be called out for his idolatry. They don't even want to hear that kind of talk at all. Because they would have to humble themselves before something else or someone else otherwise. It's not acceptable to sinful man. Men and women today seek to dismiss any notion of God or his sovereignty, believing that they are masters of their ships and captains of their souls. Sinful man will not bow down to the authority of another nor his word, all the while believing that they're still sovereign, that they're still in control. It's no different for Ahaziah in this narrative. Because the fact that Ahaziah's messengers, again, they turn around, this is the word of the Lord, this is what is spoken to you, it would have infuriated him. And so now he seeks a better inquiry. Are you sure that's the message, Elijah? He wants a better answer to be given one who he would have been taught and seemingly in knowing what he looks like would have known there is the troublemaker of Israel. And so the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. But notice the manner in which the answer is sought. This isn't a mission of clarification. It's not trying to seek how long until that happens. There's none of that. Because even in the imperatives that are used here, the king believes that he's in control. I rule over Israel. My will is most important. I will bend all things to my will. Even in his sin, even in his weakness on his deathbed. I'm still calling the shots. He doesn't send a messenger. He sends a troop. This isn't a neutral going. This is a hostile one. It is to meet the conflict, a show of force to compel Elijah to speak a better word and more to know his place. I'm the sovereign. You humble yourself. And yet even the details of the account. Elijah is the one sitting on high ground. Here are those that need to come up to meet the Lord. Even in the geography of the text, it cries out, who is the one to be heeded and obeyed and humbled before? And so that captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Imperative, command, do it. 
But Elijah answered, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And then the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Elijah's word is upheld. This is the truth. I am his prophet. And the Lord Yahweh is in control of this. God protects his word and his servant actively. And yet that question should sting our own hearts. If I am a man of God, if if I am who you remembered me to be, if I am truly acting for the Lord, if I am really speaking his word, then why have you approached the word bearer this way? Why would you speak in such a way to Yahweh, to the one who has been set apart for this task? Why do you come at me and speak to me with commands when you will not heed the commands of the one for whom I am sent? And they are utterly destroyed by it. That a people in this world will be utterly destroyed. Because they will not submit. Because they will not heed the command of the Lord, but continue to call out to God that this is how he should be. And this is who he should be, and this is what he should do. And this is who he should accept. They are utterly destroyed because of it. Fifty men, plus one, their captain. It's not a small number of people, is it? This would certainly be on the evening news, the lead story. But Ahaziah cares more for control than compassion. And so let's do it again. Another captain and another 50, but now more forcible. O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. The captain even more forward than the first. No pleading, but an intensity, a forcefulness. Do the will of Azariah, Ahaziah. Bow before him and do it now. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed his 50. Yet again, God, as always, protects his word and his servant. If I am a man of God, then you should know that the king's word is not more important than the word of Almighty Yahweh. You are repeating the word of the king, you captain, without heeding the will and word of the one who is truly sovereign in this moment. Do we understand that in calling out to God? Even in the way that we say we are prayer, but we are commanding him. You will do it and you will do it my way. And the Lord says, no, I am Yahweh. That way ends only in judgment. And even here, the Lord has now answered twice more in fire. Three times in total. Once at the mountain and now here. Do you still not understand? Can you still not remember? How could you forget as a nation and a people what the Lord has done in defeating Baal on Mount Carmel? Fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. How can you forget your confession on that day? The Lord, He is God. The Lord, is He is God. So why do you continue proclaiming the sovereignty of Ahaziah when you should humble yourselves before the sovereign and almighty God? 
And then that comes to us. For when we will not humble ourselves before his word, when we will not give ourselves wholly, prostrating ourselves before him and his call upon our lives, why would we expect anything different? Why do you continue to proclaim your own sovereignty in your sin over your life, what you will do, what you will believe, what you will obey? Why do you continue telling God in his word what you will do rather than what he wills? How could it not bring about anything but a message of fire and judgment? But sinful man can't figure it out. And Ahaziah cannot figure it out. That it almost hurts to read verse 13. Again, the king said a captain of a third fifty with his fifty. You've already lost 100 of your best men. Ahaziah, so delusional in his sin, so furious and foolish in his pride, that he sends another 50. What are you doing? But this is the sinfulness of sin. I will have my way. I will have it my way. It is the foolishness of idolatry where all we do is pursue it no matter how dumb, how foolish, how stupid we look. I have to have it. And as much as we want to hide that away or my sin, nobody, the Lord knows. And your life will show what you are chasing after. But the third captain gets it. And in that way, Davis writes, quotes, quote, there is love in God's fury, end quote. Though I would probably use the word mercy. He's merciful here. Here is one who sees what has happened, who recognizes who Elijah is, more who Yahweh is, and approaches a holy God and his servant rightly, humbly, for not only his own sake, but to serve the men that he leads. We certainly see a more beautiful leadership, but we see a requisite humility. And the third captain of the 50 came up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. He pled to him, O man of God, I see who you are. I recognize who you are. Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. He pleads for mercy on the basis of the kindness of God and his prophet. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. That apart from the sight of God, the light of his countenance, there is no blessing, there is no life. Please look at me as precious, a life worth delivering. It is the best show of humility. That it's an example to us because he's terrified. And yet he approaches seeking mercy, trembling before God, and his life is spared. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's willing to deliver. He's able to deliver. 
the lives of his, his own life and the life of his men are, are spared. Again, not because of his own works of righteousness, not because of his goodness or his action of praying. No, the, the Lord will show mercy on those that he will show mercy and he will harden those that he will harden. All of this cries out his glory because he is sovereign. Because he rules and he reigns in him alone. And until our hearts are willing to bow to that in the most full way, this will forever be the conflict. This will always be the brokenness in your life. He is sovereign in election. He is sovereign in salvation. He is sovereign in all things and over all things. So why do we forget that so much? Why do we still rebel against him wanting our way rather than his? Our control rather than his? Our glory rather than his? How are you approaching God? Even in your prayers right now, are you demanding or humble? Do you see him and know him for who he truly is? And approach rightly on the basis of his merciful kindness and grace. Because that is a life precious in his sight. Chosen by God. A way in which we know how that kind of life ends. Joy and peace forever. But sadly, the world still wants their answer. Still wants their sovereign claim answered. The world wants grace and deliverance without repentance or accountability or obedience. And so one more question remains. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you seek clarity instead of responsibility? Because that's ultimately what Ahaziah wants. He doesn't want the rest of the religion talk. He doesn't even want to have the sovereignty talk. Am I going to recover or not? It's how many people approach God in their troubles. Some kind of magic eight ball. Some kind of just give me an answer now. Speak to me and then maybe I'll be obedient. Maybe I'll cry out to you and live for you. What is to come for my life? Will I recover? He wants to know, but he doesn't want to be humbled. I don't need to hear anything about Jesus. I don't need to repent. I don't want to accept responsibility for my own sins or the sins of my people. And it doesn't just happen then. Pastor, let me know what heaven's going to be like, but don't talk to me about sin or guilt or judgment or about needing to be found in Jesus Christ or about dying to sin and living to God. I want to know what will happen, but I don't want to be responsible for my sin. And I certainly don't want to feel guilty or bad about it. But like Elijah, we can only speak the truth. That's what being set apart as a prophet or a minister really is. We can only speak the truth that the Lord has given us in his word. And so in that way, Ahaziah gets it right. It is a word of clarity, but it's also a word of warning. You are dying. You are sick without remedy and without cure. Humble yourself before the Lord. It is a call to repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our clarion task of proclaiming before the world. And we do not need to be afraid of being faithful to it. Because Jesus Christ is with us. 
And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. He has no reason to be afraid. Because he is standing on truth and he speaks the truth of Almighty God. The man has sought the Lord even on behalf of Ahaziah. And now Elijah is tasked to speak the word already sent. Plainly reminding Ahaziah and all of Israel of the fact that the Lord's word is clear. And so a measure of clarity is given. Thus says the Lord. That is all the clarity he needed. Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal Zabub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. The word of the Lord brings life and it brings death. The word of the Lord opens the door of the kingdom and it closes it. And here it has been closed. So he died. So he dies. Because Yahweh always keeps his word. According to the word that Elijah had spoken. And another one will become king and act wickedly because Ahaziah has no son. And the rest of his acts, which we already heard, the summary in 1 Kings 22, is enough to tell us all we need to know. And it seems in some ways a bit anticlimactic because we all want the storybook ending. We all want the happy ending. We want there to be reconciliation. We want there to be remorse. We want him to hear the word of the Lord and believe it and be changed. But there's no miraculous conversion. There's no repentance. There's no seeking of mercy. It is a statement of clear truth and a statement of clear end and nothing else could be spoken. And that is no less true today. For if you remain in your sinful idolatry, seeking to be sovereign, searching for clarity in everything but the truth of God and His Word, there is no different end for you than that of Ahaziah. It is sure to be according to the Word of the Lord. You will die and your judgment will be real and forever. You have turned away from God. You have set aside his word and there will be judgment. Hear it. Heed it. Don't forget. But in the announcement of such fury, there is mercy for us to hear because God has brought you once more to hear his word. He's brought you to this place and he has spoken his word and his gospel to you. He is merciful. But he's also just. And so if you want clarity, real clarity this evening, you must be brought once more before God's power and his holiness. If you want comforted clarity, you must begin with accepting responsibility for your sin. 
to fear God as one who trembles before Him, who seeks Him humbly with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, confessing all your sins to Him, holding nothing back, taking responsibility for all of it. That you would know clearly the forgiveness of all of your sins because Christ has taken that responsibility on Himself for you. And has granted you not only forgiveness, but the blessings of life and grace rather than fire and judgment. You're called to repent and believe the good news. To cry out to Jesus Christ and live. Deliver me from my idolatry. Deliver me from my delusion that I would be saved. Accept responsibility knowing that in Christ taking up your sin and shame, taking up your judgment, the Lord does forgive you your sin and grant you life now and forever. But that life can only be found in Yahweh. If you keep looking at the world, you're going to miss it. You will never find it. Come to Jesus. Come to his word and live. For that God dwells in our midst. That that God in the life of the believer dwells inside each. And lest we forget, he gives us that gospel week after week after week. So let us remember. But more believe in him and find all of our life and joy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the power of your word. That, Father, in all of the power of its grace is also set before us the power of judgment. And so, Lord, we pray, work that reality in us. Open our eyes to our brokenness. Open our hearts to their need. And may it be found only, only in you and your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your Word and Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray, call that people to yourself. Call them near to the mountain of the Lord, to that sweet and holy Mount Zion. And so, Lord, as we seek to rise into you, As those found in Jesus Christ, we long for that last day of your appearing. And so, Lord, work. Work by your word in the promise of it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.